to the High Praises Church podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. If you don't know me, my name is Evan. I am the student pastor here and really, really excited to be able to have the opportunity to preach to you today. Just want to say thank you so much for, to, to Dad, uh, to our pastor, Pastor Chris, for giving me the opportunity to preach. And, and I really am excited to see what, what God is going to do in the house today. Hey, everybody just do something for me real quick. Everybody try and think about the earliest memory that you have. Can you do that? Just try and think. What is the earliest memory that you have? How old were you? What were you doing? Where were you at? Is this a good memory? Is it a bad memory? Is, is it just a goofy memory? Like, what is the earliest memory you have? See, I was kind of thinking about this recently, and so the earliest memory that I have I'm pretty sure, I don't know, it's my earliest memory, it's a little vague. I'm pretty sure I was four years old. And the reason that I remember this, that it's my earliest memory, is because honestly, it was something kind of traumatic. So, my mom and a bunch of friends, a bunch of other moms from the church, decided to go down to Myrtle Beach, I think, for a weekend. And so I remember it was nighttime, and all the moms are sitting outside of a pool area, and then all of the kids that are kind of my age are sitting in the pool area. And then for whatever reason, we decided that it would be fun to do, like, like a train around the pool, you know, where you, like, put your hands on the shoulders of the person in front of you, and you're walking around. I don't know. But then what happened next was absolutely terrifying. I don't know how it happened. Don't ask me. But some way, one way or another, I actually got trapped under the water. Like I got drawn under the water and I was being unintentionally held down by the biggest and oldest kid there. No clue how it happened. But all I remember is being underwater and being like, I'm dying. Like I can't breathe. And the worst part of it was that none of the adults seemed to know that I was trapped underwater. And I'm sure it felt like minutes. I don't really remember. It was probably like 30 seconds. But like that fear set in. Like I am going to die. I can't breathe. Like it's been a good one, a good four years, played with some great toys, watched Barney, whatever. You know, but this is it. This is it for me. Now, thankfully, my mom managed to notice, hey, Evan is trapped under the water, and he can't breathe, and she ran up and scooped me out of the water, and I'm not dead today. I'm standing before you. But the reason that's my earliest memory is just because it's traumatic. Like, it was scary, because if we're all being honest, death is a scary thing. It is not something we want to think about. It's not something we want to talk about. It's not something we really want to face. But here's the truth that we all know. Death affects all of us in one way or another. You simply can't escape it. Maybe some of you, you've walked into this room today and you are facing the worst kind of death. And here's what I mean. That you've walked into this room in spiritual death. That you aren't in a right relationship with Jesus. That you are dead in your sins, doing dead works, and you know that if you die today, you would not spend eternity with Christ. You would spend eternity in hell. Man, that is death, true blue death. But for others of us, we're affected by death in other ways. Maybe because of COVID-19, maybe because of a, a health scare or a bad doctor's report, you have just got death weighing on your mind and you're scared of it. That the devil is hanging over you this anxiety about what if it's my time? What if I'm next? What if I'm going next? And you are in fear of, of death. Maybe you're, you're mourning the loss of a loved one. 
maybe someone who passed recently or it's been a few years now, but you just miss them so dearly. And, and death is just bringing you that pain. Maybe the truth is that, that life right now isn't going good. There's a lot of weight. There's a lot of pressure on you. Your job's not good. You've got financial stress, and you're like, man, life is short. Couldn't it be a little bit better before I die? That death comes for all of us. And now if we just stopped right there, we would all be without hope. We would all be plunged into depression. That death is coming for us. There's nothing we can do. And that's simply the end of it. But if you are being affected by death in one way or another, can I give you some good news today? That though death may come for us in this world, it does not have the last word. Because we serve a resurrected and living Savior who is coming back for us one day to be resurrected and have eternal life in his name. So yes, death comes for us, it affects us, it scares us, but it simply does not have the last word. Our answer is Jesus Christ. And so that's why today we're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, mainly beginning in verse 20. But I want to give you some background context first before we get there. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. And this whole chapter is about death and resurrection. Specifically, he's telling us how the resurrection of Jesus Jesus Christ from the grave is pivotal to our salvation. It's pivotal to the gospel. It must be there, and without it, we are not saved. Listen to what he says beginning in verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, but which also you are saved if you hold fast that word which I preached to you unless you believed in vain. He's saying here is the gospel. Here is the good news. Here is the truth that saves you. For I deliver to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. And then he goes on to mention who all Jesus appeared to. So what is he saying? This is the content of the gospel. This is the truth that saves you, and without it, you are not saved. That Christ died for your sins according to the scriptures. He was buried in a tomb, like he really actually died. Three days later, he rose again and appeared to many. He really actually rose again. Like, this is not a hoax. That this is necessary to our salvation. The resurrection of Christ is necessary. In fact, beginning in verse 12, we won't read it, but he basically says this. There are some folks in Corinth who are saying that there is no resurrection. And if there is no resurrection, then Christ hasn't been resurrected. And if Christ hasn't risen from the grave, you're still in your sins. This is all pointless. Our, us Christians are to be pitied above all other people because we are still subject to death. Paul wants to emphasize the necessity and the importance of Christ's resurrection for our salvation. But then he goes on in verse 20, which is where our main text is today, where Paul actually begins to describe how this works. How does Christ's death and resurrection really and truly save us? And so this is what he says. But now Christ is risen and from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. 
What is he saying? That death is an enemy that plagues all of humanity, that all die. But how did it happen? He says that death entered through one man. Then he gets specific. In Adam, all die. Now, how does this work? Adam and Eve were our very first parents, placed in the Garden of Eden, designed for eternal life with God, but Adam failed. That Satan came and tempted him, and he fell. He sinned against God, and then he fell into death because of his sin. That he was separated from the very life of God, and he was under guilt and condemnation for sinning against God. And what is the penalty for being guilty of sin against God? It's death. And so Adam, as our first parent, and as the representative of all of humanity, impacts us. That where Adam goes, all of humanity follows. And because Adam was subject to sin and death, you and I are also born into sin and death, following our very first father, Adam. And that's what theologians call original sin. It's why you were born already decaying and subject to death, and it's why you were born a sinner. Like, just think about a four-year-old. Like, you do not have to teach them how to sin. They are already good at it on their own, okay? Like, we are born in sin because of Adam. So how are we to be raised to life? How are we to receive salvation? Well, Paul says this, that just as through a man came death, well, through a man comes the resurrection of the dead. In fact, just as in Adam all die, so in Christ all are made alive. That just as Adam represented all of humanity and we followed suit, so too Christ represents all of humanity and we can follow after him too. So what did Christ do on our behalf representing all of humanity? Well, he went to the cross and he died for our sins. That he actually bore the penalty for our sins. The wages of sin is death. He bore our death so that we could be forgiven. But then three days later, he conquered our death so that we could be resurrected from the grave. That following after Christ, we are both forgiven and we are both rising again from the grave, following in his footsteps. That Christ is both the victim and the victor. That it's through him that we have this life. Think about, think about it like this. like Through the first Adam came sin and death. But through the second Adam, Jesus Christ, comes righteousness and life. But I can keep going. Through Eve, sin and death was born into the world. But through Mary, righteousness and life was born into the world. That death entered through the fruit of a living tree. But life entered through Christ crucified on a dead tree. That Jesus came to completely and fully flip the script on what Adam did to us and to give us resurrection life in his name. But then Paul goes further. That he lists something with the goal of, of this. Of showing Christ's complete supremacy and showing Christ's complete conquering of every single one of our enemies. Now, can I just be honest with y'all for a moment? As I was preparing this sermon I actually had the thought, maybe I'll just skip these verses. <laughs> I'm not kidding. You want to know why? Because the next few verses, we're going to have to get a little bit, just barely, into the deep end of the pool. But rather than skipping it and leaving people confused, let's just take a moment. 
Let's step into the deep end of the pool and let's see what God has to say to us. Because I believe when we get to the other side of this kind of difficult passage, we are going to be able to see Christ's complete victory over sin and death. Does that sound good? Can you all do that for me? Okay, sweet. Let's go. All right, beginning in verse 23, Paul says this. But each one in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterward those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death, praise God. And then he quotes Psalm 8, for he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. Now when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him that God may be all in all. Is anybody confused yet? Right? When I first read that, I literally said, what in tarnation is Paul talking about? Like what is going on? Like this is so confusing. Okay. Let's break it down and see what he's actually saying. He's saying Christ rose again first. He's the first fruits. When Christ comes back, we will follow after him. The dead in Christ will rise, be resurrected again for all of eternity. And what does he say? Christ must rule until all of his enemies are placed under his feet. Every ruler, power, and authority. Now, when the Apostle Paul talks about rulers, powers, and authorities in all of his writings, he's not talking about earthly rulers but spiritual rulers. He's talking about Satan and all of his demons will be placed under Jesus' feet. That sin itself will be placed under Jesus' feet. And finally, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. That Christ must rule until all enemies are defeated. But then he kind of throws a curveball at us. He says Christ will rule and reign until all enemies are defeated. But then what? He's going to hand the kingdom over to God the Father. Wait a minute, I thought, I thought God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, I thought they were the same. What do you mean he's going to hand the kingdom over? Okay, that's a little confusing. Well, then we get to the end. He's, he quotes Psalm 8 that says everything must be put under his feet. But he says God the Father is putting enemies under Jesus' feet. So it's clear that when he says everything will be put under Jesus' feet, he doesn't mean that God the Father will be less than or subject to Jesus Christ. Are you still following me? We're good, okay. Then comes the most confusing part. That when all the enemies are put under Christ's feet, that even the Son will be subject to the Father, that God may be all in all. Now, what in the world? I thought that God was a trinity. I thought Jesus and God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, are they not like the same God, the same person? I thought they were equal. What is Paul saying? Is Jesus less than God the Father? Should we worship God the Father more than Jesus? Is Jesus like a demigod, like Hercules, like Greek mythology? Like what in this world is going on here? Here's an important interpretive principle to help you out when accessing passages like this, okay? That when we read the rest of Paul, when we read the rest of the Bible, and when we look at the historic interpretation of our 2,000-year-old church, here's what it clearly, completely says. That God has eternally existed in one God, but three persons. 
all three persons are totally equal in essence. They have the same divine nature. God the Father, is it more God than God the Son or more God than God the Holy Spirit? They're equal in power. They can do all the same things. Jesus isn't less powerful than the Father, and they're equal in glory. They share the same divine glory, and they are worthy of the same glory and honor praise from all of creation. Is everybody follow me? We good. Okay. With that in mind, with that clarity in mind, then we know it is simply not an option to see that Paul is saying that Jesus Christ is lesser than God the Father. It would contradict Scripture and the historic interpretation of the church. It simply can't work. So what in the world is this about? Well, here's how we're going to go, okay? We need to know when the Scriptures are talking about Jesus and his divine nature, all-powerful, omnipresent, he's everywhere at once, the sustainer of the world, and when the Bible is talking about Jesus and his human nature, the one born of the Virgin Mary, the one who suffered and died on a cross. You see, God, specifically Jesus, became a man to save all of humanity, that he is 100% God and he's 100% man all at the same time. And so sometimes the Bible can talk about Jesus as fully God, And sometimes the Bible talks about Jesus as fully man. And we need to have wisdom to know which passages or which nature the Bible is referencing. Are we still good? We still good. I know we're in the deep end, okay? We're almost out. So what in the world is Paul talking about? What kingdom is he talking about? Christ shares uniquely in two kingdoms. One, Christ shares with God the Father and the Holy Spirit the eternal reign and supremacy and authority over all of creation since the very beginning of creation. That in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and He was God. That everything was made through Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? Right? He shares in that rulership and that supremacy. But when sin entered the world, Jesus Christ became a man, and He also assumed an earthly authority or an earthly kingship. Jesus was born in the line, the lineage of King David. That Jesus, as God, rules over all of creation, and as man, rules over Israel, over God's people from the lineage of King David. So when we talk about Jesus' rulership and authority and being a king, we can talk about it in two different realms. So what is Paul saying to us? That Jesus Christ became a man to defeat every last enemy that we have. That Jesus became a man to throw Satan and his demons in hell. And when he comes back, he's going to do it. Fully and finally, completely. That Jesus became a man to wash our sins away forever. And when Christ comes back, he's going to do it finally, fully, and completely, and forever. And what's the last enemy? Jesus Christ became a man to fully and completely abolish death forever. And when he comes back, there will be no more death forever. And that Christ reign, Christ's ministry as a human ruler and as a human savior, when he comes back, will be completely and totally complete. Does that make sense? We good. 
that God became a man to defeat our enemies. And when Christ comes back, every last enemy will be destroyed. So then what does it mean that the son will give the kingdom over to the father and be subject to the father? Simply this. That now that Christ has fulfilled his role as human king and human savior, that the eternal kingdom of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that they shared at the very beginning of creation will take precedence over the earthly kingdom whose ministry has been fulfilled. That all things will be made right again. That there will be no more sin. There will be no more Satan. There will be no more death. That Jesus Christ will be completely and totally our Savior. So now all eyes will be on God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit ruling and reigning over all of creation like it was at the very beginning. That our enemies will completely and totally be defeated. That Christ's human and earthly ministry will be fulfilled and that God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit will be all in all, our everything, our ruler, our sovereign, our supreme, and for the rest of eternity we will be with him forever. That Paul is trying to emphasize that Jesus is not a half-savior, that Jesus is not slacking on the job, but when Jesus comes back, he will finish what he started as our human Savior and our human King, and all eyes will be on the glorious Father, Son, and Holy Spirit like it should have been at the beginning. He's emphasizing Christ's finished work. Christ is no, no way less than God. I think about it like this. Pastor Gabe, he told me I could tell this story. I think this, this kind of helps a little bit. So when Gabe was right out of uh, high school, and I think kind of just getting into college, he worked at a grocery store. Now, his usual kind of roles and responsibility at the grocery store was being a cashier and being a bagger. That's usually what he did. Well, one day they were short on staff, and they actually needed Gabe to come in and clean the store. So he had like a you know, four-hour, eight-hour shift, whatever it was, clean the store. So Gabe comes in, and he just gets after it. He's cleaning the bathrooms, cleaning the floors. He's sweeping stuff. He's, you know, wiping stuff down. I don't know, whatever his responsibility was. Like, he is working hard. And all of a sudden, he gets completely done with all of his responsibilities with, like, two hours left on his shift. And so now the managers are just making up busy work for him to do. They're like, hey, go wipe down that creepy light that doesn't work in the corner just to give you something. You know, like, let's just take up your time. So Gabe in his infinite teenage wisdom, says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to go home. And that's exactly what he did. Did not clock out, literally walked, got in his car, and drove straight home. Said, I don't have to deal with this. He just said, I'm done with my job, not doing anything else. He walked in the house, and his dad is like, Gabe, I thought you had a couple hours left on your shift. He's like, yeah, dad, I just did my work game home. And then his dad said, you're going to get in that car right now, and you are going back to your job and finishing your shift. Here's the funniest thing. My man worked, went home, drove back, and the managers never found out. Never got in trouble, nothing. He got away with it. I hope one of the managers isn't here or watching online today. I guess it really doesn't matter anymore, right? But what did he do? He came for a specific role, a specific job, to clean the place, to clean the store, and he finished it. And what Paul is simply trying to say is that Jesus became a man to deliver us from every single enemy, and he fully intends on doing that. And when he comes back, 
Satan and his demons will be in hell forever. Your sins will be fully, finally forgiven. And death will be no more because of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That we have victory in his name. He is our Savior. So what does this mean for us? How does this change the way we think? And some of you, you are really and truly bound by fear of death right now. That COVID-19 is crazy. Maybe you have a compromised immune system. And, 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 and the devil's just hanging anxiety and fear and this weight on you. What if I'm next? That you've heard of somebody dying. You know of somebody dying. What if I'm next? What if it has nothing to do with that? Maybe you're just sick. Maybe, maybe you got a bad doctor's report. Maybe things aren't going like you wish they were. And this fear of death is just hanging over you. Can I give you some good news today? That it's perfectly natural in a sense to fear death because we weren't made for death. But you know you don't have to fear death. Because it may get you in this world, but it simply doesn't have the last word. Because one day Christ is coming back to resurrect you forever. And the last enemy to be defeated is death. And you will never have to deal with sickness or suffering or death again. Have peace in your soul today. Yes, we will all fall under death unless Jesus comes back. But it simply won't defeat us. And there's others of you, you're, you're weighted down because you've lost a loved one. You deeply miss somebody. Maybe it's a spouse, a parent, family member, a best friend. Maybe they've recently passed or it's just been a few years. And you just feel that weight, that separation. That somebody that, that you were so tied to, that you love so deeply is gone. But if that person is a Christian, if they are in Christ, do you know what the Bible says about them? It says they aren't dead. They're just sleeping. Go read the letters of the Apostle Paul when he talks about Christians who have died in Christ. You know what he says? They're just asleep. Yeah, a couple years ago they fell asleep. Yeah, they're asleep in Christ. Why does he say this? Because in the natural world when we sleep, yeah, we go unconscious, but then we wake up. And Paul is letting us know that, yes, our loved ones may be asleep. But when Christ comes back, they are waking up in his name. And though you may feel the pain and the anxiety and you may miss that person deeply, if they are in Christ, that is only a temporary feeling, a temporary suffering, because you will be reunited with them again for eternity. Have peace in your soul today. But finally, I want to address those of you who are dealing with a different type of death. Those of you who are dead in your sins, that you do not have a relationship with God, that you know it too, that you're living a life separated from the life of God, that you are under God's condemnation, guilty of sin, guilty of rejecting him, and if you died today, you would spend eternity in hell. And deep down, you know, you know it's not God's fault. God's not rejecting you, you're rejecting him. And he's letting you have your way. But God's offer of life and resurrection and salvation is for all. And no matter what you've done, no matter how many sins you've been committed, you've committed, Jesus Christ will forgive you, give you eternal life here and now and forever. Confess your sins, believe in him, repent of your sins, and he will save you today. I beg you, don't reject him. 
Because if you choose to reject him on this earth, you're choosing to ultimately reject him forever when you die. So I see C.S. Lewis has this great quote. He says, in the end, there will only be two types of people. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those who God says to them, thy will be done. Submit to God's will today and he surely will save you and you will be with him on that last day. But finally, Christians, how are we to live? How are we to act? How are we to respond? How are we to live the remainder of our lives here on earth in light of the resurrection? Paul goes on to say this, beginning in verse 29. Otherwise, what will they do who are baptized for the dead if the dead do not rise at all? Why then are they baptized for the dead? And why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? I affirm by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. If in the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it to me? If the dead do not rise, let, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Don't be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin, for some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. So first, he says, there are people at Corinth saying that the resurrection isn't real. He says, here's the reality. Most Christians don't believe that. You're in the minority. In fact, Christians have gone overboard. They've started baptizing themselves on behalf of their dead family members so that they can see them at the resurrection. Now, listen to me. This is not an orthodox Christian practice. We don't do this, and Paul isn't affirming this. He's simply saying they've gone overboard to see their family members saved by trying to be baptized for them, though that doesn't work. But what's the theological underpinning? Because they believe in a resurrection. The resurrection is a thing. But then he moves on to this. And this is where I want to end, and this is where I want to focus. He says that if there is no resurrection from the dead, why in the world am I suffering for Jesus? Why am I going all in? I mean, Paul had it rough. He was on a shipwreck. He was like stoned basically to death. That He was imprisoned multiple times. He was beaten. I mean, he was all of these things. He was rejected by other Christians. Paul had it rough. He says that in, a manner, in the manner of men, talking about crazy people in Ephesus, like they attacked me. I was attacked by wild beasts or crazy people in Ephesus. Like I am suffering every day for Jesus. If there's no resurrection, let's just eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Let's live it up and party. Why am I going to suffer for Jesus if I'm just going to die anyways? I'm going to do what I want, eat what I want, live how I want because death's coming for me regardless. He says, if that's true, let's just do it. Y'all remember when saying YOLO was cool? That was never cool. But anyways, you only live once, right? That's what Paul's talking about. But what does he say? No, there is a resurrection of the dead, and that is why it is my responsibility and your responsibility to serve Jesus with everything that we have. Because even though serving Jesus may bring suffering and sacrifice and discomfort, this world is not all that there is, and it's worth it in the end because of the resurrection. Think about it like this. Sorry I have so many video game stories. It's just been on my mind lately. Um, anyways, I think, about to, I think about the first time that I went over to one of my best friend's house. We were in the fifth grade, and I didn't know him too well, but we had gone into his house and sat down on his computer because he wanted me to play this video game on his computer called Halo. Now, Halo is like a first-person shooter where you kill other people and stuff. 
I'm sorry. Anyway, I'm sorry. I don't know if that's appropriate, but it happened in the fifth grade. So anyways, we're playing Halo. We're shooting all the bad guys and all that good stuff. And you play online, and you play in a team. So you're playing with other players. So as we're playing, we notice something come up. One of our teammates goes by us, and we notice he has a certain username. His username on Halo was something to the effect of, I hate Jesus Christ. I know. And so fifth grade Evan and his friend said the same thing. And so like any soldier in the Lord's army, like any faithful Christian, you know what we did? We teamed up on him and we killed him. (laughs) We betrayed that teammate like that, issuing the justice of God. We were not going to get let him get away with blaspheming the Lord like that, okay? And I expect you to do the same. Now, look, I know that sounds so goofy, and I know it sounds like kind of violent, but the guy was fine. It's just a video game because here's how video games work. You might have it rough. You might, you know, feel the justice and the hammer of God by, you know, me and my friend. It might get rough for you, but once you die in the game, you know what you do? It's called respawning. You get another life, boom, just like that. And you're just back at it playing again. You might get killed, boom, you're back at it playing again. It might be rough for a moment, but you get a redo just like that and everything's made all right. What Paul is trying to tell us is this, is that this world, this life, specifically serving Jesus with everything that you have may bring discomfort, it may bring pain, it may bring sacrifice, and it may bring suffering, but, it, but it's worth it because this world is not all that there is. But Jesus is coming back for us to give us an eternal respawn where we will spend eternity with him in perfect life forever. So let's serve Jesus with everything we have. Let's suffer Jesus with everything that we have. Why? Because this isn't our final home, and it's worth it. So I encourage you, share the gospel with everything that you have. Share the gospel with that family member, that coworker, that friend, that neighbor, that whoever. And you may catch flack for it. They may reject you, say they hate you, say that you shouldn't be pushing your religion on them. They may label you a whole bunch of things, but you are doing it because you love them and want to see them in eternity. And though it may bring pain and suffering and damage some relationships, it's worth it in the end. Man, I want to encourage you, stand up for what is morally right. Somebody asks you, what do you think about X, Y, Z? Don't just make up an answer to appease them. With grace And with love, say the Bible says this is right and this is wrong and I'm going to stand on his word. And you may get labeled, you may get hate from it, who knows what will happen, but it'll be worth it. Why? Because there's a resurrection waiting on us, this life is in all there is. Serve Christ with everything that you have. I want to encourage you, man, go out and go on that missions trip. Serve the underprivileged in the community. It'll cost you money. It'll cost you time. It'll be difficult. You may even get sick. Every mission trip I've been on, I've gotten sick. One time I got a disease called chikungunya. Sounds like a Mexican dish, okay? But it was worth it. Yeah, it was a little bit of discomfort. Yeah, it was pretty scary, but God got me through it. And though this life brings suffering, there's a resurrection waiting on me, so I'm going all in for Christ while I still can. And finally, I want to encourage you to give. Give to the church, but give to nonprofits. Give to people in need. Give your money. Do it. Yeah, it's a little bit difficult. Yeah, you'd much rather have it now, but you are not going to care a lick about the $50 or $100 you spent while you're spending eternity with Jesus. It simply don't, won't matter. So be faithful to him 
now. We are called to live radically in light of the resurrection. So what you stand today? I want to give you the, the opportunity to respond. I'm not going to call you down to the altar. Just make where you're at an altar. Meet with God there. And I'm going to ask you to just speak with him for a moment. What is it that you need? Do you need peace and rest from anxiety? Is death kind of that, that thought hanging over your head? Is, is, is the devil trying to plunge you into fear? Ask for God's strength. Ask for the peace that surpasses all understanding. And the Lord will give it to you. Are you mourning the loss of a loved one? Especially a loved one in Christ. Ask God to remind you and place it in your heart that you will see them again. That this world is not our final resting place. Ask for that, that peace and that comfort and that rest in his name. Is life just difficult? Ask for God's strength to live life in light of the resurrection. But finally, what are the areas you need to step up in? Are you living radically for Christ? Are you living all in for Christ? Ask God to search your heart and convict you in the areas you need to step up in. Ask God to give you the boldness and the courage to go all out for him in light of the resurrection. As a church making an altar where you're at, would you just lift your hands as an act and a sign of surrender? And as I begin to pray into the microphone, would you begin to pray out to God in whatever way applies to you, in whatever way you need, meet with God right there and see him do something powerful in your life. God, I thank you so much. I thank you for your grace. God, I thank you for your mercy. And I thank you for your resurrection life. Lord, I pray for those who are suffering with anxiety right now, especially about death. Would you give them peace? Would you give them rest and comfort? Lord, I pray for those who are grieving the loss of a loved one, of someone they miss, especially someone in Christ. God, remind them of your promise that you're coming back for us one day in death and will be defeated. God, would you give peace and rest to the anxious and worrying heart full of the weight and cares of this world. Help them to remember that this world is, is not all there is. But God, would you challenge us, challenge us to serve, challenge us to sacrifice, challenge us to spread the good news. God, challenge us in our heart to do what must be done for the glory and for the sake of Jesus Christ in light of the resurrection. All this world may bring suffering, but suffering and death does not have the last word you do. I worship you. I glorify you. I praise you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, church, with hands lifted high, would you begin to sing out to God and praise Him for being our living hope today? Come on, worship Him with everything you have today. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings. Our service times are 9 o'clock and 1045. For more information, please visit us at highpraises.org.